Hey everybody, just wanted to tell you before we get started with the interview, um, I I know there's an audio issue on my end, um, you can hear Mr. David Ellison really, really, really clear, um, just wanted to tell you that there's a, there was a problem on my, on my end, that's why in the, during the interview, you hear him a lot more <laughs> than you hear me, but, uh, no worries, I just felt like I should tell you all before we get started so you all won't. You know, exit out the uh, interview early or anything like that. It won't happen again, and I know my problems and I know my issues, so let's get started with the interview. Like many of you, we battle depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the one thing that we could rely on to get us through the tough times that we all face. Follow us on our journey as we discuss the healing power of music, interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies and more this is the when words fail music speaks podcast with blake mosley and james cox hey everybody welcome to when words fail music speaks podcast i'm your handicapped host james cox we have a very special guest for you today let me introduce them to y'all from humble farm roots in rural minnesota david ellison has come a long way literally and figuratively Two contrary stages around the world as basis for thrash metal titans Megadeth. Revered for his unique, hard-hitting playing style and unwavering dedication to his musical craft, Elson has woven a vast professional tapestry as a bassist, songwriter, and record producer, as well as an author. As a member of Megadeth, he has been awarded 10 Grammy nominations, Catlin's Gold and Platinum Records, and toured the world for the better part of three decades. In addition to Megadeth, David has lent his playing and writing abilities to several other recording and touring projects, including Soulfly, F5, Temple of Brutality, Altitudes and Attitude with Frank Bellow of Anthrax, and Metal Allegiance, the subgroup formed by Mark McGuy, with Mike Portnoy and Alex Schlarnick, who released their infamous debut in 2015 on Nuclear Blast. Ellison, who has a bachelor's degree in business marketing and continues to lecture on a variety of music and business-related topics, has also ventured out into other portes. As president of record label EMP Label Group, Ellison Music Productions, and with his own coffee brand, Ellison Coffee Company. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. David Ellison. Mr. David, how are you doing today, sir? What are you doing there, James? Man, you, you are pretty good, pretty good, man. Man, you are a busy, busy guy. You have a coffee business. You have you run your own book company, and you have like like two or three bands. Am I am I correct? <laughs> <on that>? Yeah, <laughs> all <of> that. <laughs> yeah, all that. Yeah, um, it's kind of part of doing these days you know this is uh entertainment has always been a very entrepreneurial business and of course if we're lucky enough to have 
one band like I have been with Megadeth, you know, that's been the anchor for everything. And that's by I'm known around the world for my uh, work in Megadeth over the years. But, you know, then um, there comes a point where we all kind of branch into other things. We get signature guitars and strings and, um, you know, in my case, uh, I stepped out to start the coffee company, have a record label, a film company, a book company, all these different things. And, you know, this is, yeah, this is kind of what we do. It's, uh, it's kind of the, what keeps, what keeps life colorful, you know? So, um, yeah. And I'm always writing songs with people and working on other things. And, um, you know, uh, especially in the last couple of years, you know, with, um, you know, things just the way that they are uh, with the pandemic. It's It's been nice to have some other things, you know, to some things that are already ready to go and um, ready to launch them. And, you know, sometimes my, my biggest problem is I'm always trying to find little windows of where to put this stuff out because, you know, I get, especially right. if I'm on a Megadeth tour um, with an album and a tour, you know, that's a, a cycle, you know, it can be sometimes a couple years <laughs> for those things. So, you know, this has been... Um, uh, while we're working on a Megadeth album right now in Nashville, uh, right. it's been a good time to be able to, you know, be, um, you know, have, have some, have some, have some opportunity here to put, put these other things out. Right. Well, I noticed that, um, on, uh, 2020 was a bad year for, for us all, you know, during the COVID stuff. And, and, and I saw on, uh, on November 19, 2020, you released a, a new album under, under your name, uh, Allison called no cover yeah so uh what made you what made you want to release that cover album and was it something you always wanted to do or or was it just a sort of moment kind of get a myself to COVID? it was totally a random a random thing this little ditty right here <laughs> um it was random because we were working on an ellison record of original material and um I had just come home from Nashville in early June uh, from cutting the bass and drum tracks for the Megadeth record. And I got home and we were getting ready to just, you know, keep working on a, on the Ellison record, but you know, everything being shut down, we had dates in Japan and Australia. And, you know, we, we were told, look, it's not good over there. They're not ready to tour. Um, you know, the governments aren't going to be issuing any work visas, you know, so we wouldn't be able to do the tour. So we thought, well, look, rather than just waste a good album uh, on not being able to tour and support it, we said, yeah, look, what? Well, let's play some cover songs. And uh, so just doing a few covers turned into 18 songs, you know, uh, with even of 19, really, there's a bonus track on here. If you listen all the way to the end, right. there's a little hidden Easter egg in there. But um, so we, you know, with that, we did that. Then we put that out later, um, in um november of uh of uh 2020 and um we did get out and we did some touring uh in texas and louisiana and through indiana illinois up into wisconsin um so we did you know these little pockets where we could um and uh so it, you know it was good so we i don't know i felt like it was pretty good you know i put the book out the rockstar hitman book uh, right. in, in december right after that um so i i had a i had a good year i mean i was very productive and you know certainly very creative um and got to do a lot of fun collaborations with a lot of different people which i think uh our fans liked seeing that you know they like seeing these different collaborations and different settings and musicians and people coming together um in a way that's um 
you know, probably wouldn't, wouldn't have never have happened if, if we hadn't had the, the pandemic. Right. Um, so I do have a, I, I do have a question from a friend cause I told him you were coming on and you were thrilled for me and he, he wants to ask you a question. Um, he asked, um, since, um, David, Dave Mustaine is known as the main songwriter for Megadeth. Um, he asked, were you free to write your own beast rights the way you wanted to do, or was it like set in stone that you had to write this for this song? Well, it, it depends. It varies. You know, Dave is a, a good writer, obviously. He like, when he hears, hear, hears something in his head, um, you know, sometimes he'll say, hey, how about something like this? And he'll just maybe give an indication. Other times he's very specific, um, play this part. Uh, I'd say probably in recent years, he's probably maybe been a bit more specific about it. Um, and, and it was kind of like that in the earlier years. You know, Dave and I always lived together because we were essentially homeless together. So we would, you know, move into apartments and, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, having our apartments was sort of Megadeth headquarters, you know, wherever we wherever we landed. Um, right. So we spent a lot of time together, you know, working on the, the parts and the songs and, um, you know, people write in different ways. Um, you know, someone like Dave and in our, that particular situation, I say, like I say, he's very particular. Um, and it's okay if that person is the uh, composer of that song and they hear a guitar part, they hear a vocal part, they want the drums played a certain way and they say, hey, play the bass, this is the bass part. That's okay. I mean, that's how, you know, Bach and Mozart and Beethoven, I mean, they wrote all the parts, you know what I mean? And if their name was on it as the writer, they wrote all the parts, you know? Um, I played an orchestra band growing up, tenor saxophone, and, you know, when I would uh, play those, uh, those compositions, um, whether it was in marching band or orchestra band or whatever, you know, they, those parts were all written out for a reason um, because they were, they were, how that composer heard the orchestra. And so, you know, rock man really is no different. I think there's sometimes there's this misconception that it's like everybody just writes their own parts. Right. Um, and in some situations it, it is like that, like with what I'm doing with Jeff Scott Soto, for instance, um, I kind of started the, a lot of the material. I, I initiated it. I would work with my guitar player, Andy over in Italy. And then the two of us together would, would collaborate on the music. Um, and Andy would always default to me as to yes or no, you know, and then when I give it to Jeff, um, sometimes I would hand him a lyric, a melody, say, Hey, here it is. Sing this. And he was great. Other times they'd say, Hey, here's a thought. Here's a title, maybe a verse and a chorus. Um, I'll leave it to you to write the melody. Um, feel free to even rewrite the lyric if you want, you know, so, so even in, inside of certain settings, there can be many different uh, variables to how the composition works, you know? Um, so um, I think the, the main thing is, is as a, as a musician, um, be aware of what the situation calls for, you know? Um, and, you know, just kind of go with it like that is what I've found. Well, I, well, I do have a question about the guitarists that, that you work with, um, you know, Chris Bull and Marty Freeman, um, Chris Patrick with the most recent Kiko. Um, how does each one of them fit into maybe this atmosphere? Like, is there like a, like, do, do they have suggestions bringing into the band? And I like, like, cause I noticed like, um, it's a more like a democracy, instead of like, like a dictatorship. Cause I've seen you 
um, any songs like with you and and Dave and Dave and uh, like Chris write one song and then on other albums other guitars write in the song. Right, right. So, uh, um, do they have like uh, when you come in the band, do they have suggestions for how the how the next album album supposed to be like laid down and? Well, look, I'll give you an example. So Dystopia, for instance, um, essentially rebuilding the band. Um, you know, it was me and Dave. Uh -huh. um, we uh, got, key, you know, Chris Adler from Lamb of God said, listen, if you need someone to play drums, I'm a huge fan. I'd love to do it. Chris, of course, being a, a very, you know, esteemed drummer and very capable. Uh, we went, great. Awesome. We have a drummer, at least for the record. <laughs> and then um, Dave called me one day and said, hey, I, I love Kiko. And I said, hey, I know Kiko. I can get a hold of him. So I brought him into the, to the, to the fold. Um, and then he and Dave really hit it off um, as friends and as, as musical uh, partnership. Um, in fact, Dave even said to me, he said, you know, I feel like with Kiko, I have a real um, a real partner in the, in the guitar department, you know, kind of like what he felt back in probably the earlier days with Murray Friedman. Um, and so that was great. Um, and so, you know, so on that album, you know, Dave did most of the composing. Kiko actually wrote a couple of things um, because he brought some things to the table um, during that period that were, you know, as he and Dave were in the studio working on guitar parts, you know, Kiko would, you know, brought in, brought in some things, you know, that, that were new and fresh and, and seemed to work well. Um, you know, the current record we're writing, everybody's been writing, everybody's been putting in, you know, a ton of uh, ideas and material. And then there comes a point where you go, okay, what, you know, out of these say 20 ideas, what are sort of the 15 that are the best, which lead to the 11 that are the album. And you know what I mean? You kind of right. you start wide and then you narrow things down. And I think probably, I think most every album is like that to some degree, you know, even with me and Jeff Scott Soto, we wrote a ton of things. We kept it very wide to kind of find the, the center, you know, and, and then you kind of start bringing things in toward the center. Where's the, where's sort of the heart and soul of it. Um, and Mega, that's no different. You know, where's the heart and soul of this record? We want it to be that, and then we can kind of stretch it out over here. Kiko, of course, brings in this kind of nylon string, Brazilian jazz, flamenco thing, which is right. great. Which is awesome, yeah. Yeah, Dirk, of course, we can just let him go. And man, people want to hear Dirk just crush, you know, because that, right. you know. So, you know, we've got some elements in Megadeth now uh, with Dirk and Kiko. Um, that's uh why not let them shine you know let them go let them really bring their best to the table but again at, at times um you know sometimes you know they bring the idea other times dave has the idea and uh, hey dirk play this um and dirk takes dave's idea and plays it in a dirk kind of way and we all go Holy shit, that was awesome. You know? so, I mean, Dirk, I think Dirk really shines on this record, this next record, man. He's he's such a, he's just a, a great, great player, man. So it's it's fun to, you know, as a bass player, it's fun to, there's moments on this record, it felt like, you know, like what I, as a fan growing up listening to Rush, when I heard Geddy Lee and Neil Peart doing stuff, I'm like, whoa, that's so awesome. Because it was so locked. It was so, it's like they were one mind, you know what I mean? Playing these licks together. And, and I feel like, Dirk and I hit Paydirt on that, you know, we really hit those moments and it's, it's, it's fun as a player to just go, Whoa, 
Wow, what we're, that, you know we're right? onto something. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Chris, Chris Adler was 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 he supposed to be like a like a one and one and one album guy? Was he like like going to be commanded for the long run? Well, Chris, you know, was a member of Lamb of God at that time. So, right. you know, I, I always encouraged him. I said, well, listen, you know, wherever your your heart is, obviously do that. But, you know, it was it was, it was kind of a challenging decision, I think, for Chris, because he uh, he loves Megadeth and it was fun to be uh, to perform with us because we kept him with us to perform for a couple of months as the, as the tour yeah. started out. Um, and, but there just came a point where, you know, they had a, they had a Lamb of God record that was very, they were very busy with that. You know, sometimes we did some festivals in the summer of, uh, 2016 after the album came out where Chris would literally, uh, you know, play with Lamb of God, run into the dressing room, change into his Megadeth shirt and run yeah. right out on stage and play Holy, play another hour and a half with Megadeth. And I was right. like, good Lord, man. But it just goes to show how passionate he is. First of all, he's a great player. He was very passionate about it. Um, so, um, but yeah, there just, you know, there came a point where it was like, okay, now the two horses can't be in the same race, you know, because they right. go off in different different directions. So that's when we, uh, Chris, you know, always sung uh, Dirk's praises. He said, man, if there was ever a drummer to replace me to come in and do it, it would right. it would be Dirk. And so Chris... You know, Chris gets the the kudos, you know, for yeah. for for bringing him into the fold. Nice, because I because I've always wondered how what how to work where where uh, Chris knew with other guy and okay, he he will do right. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I don't think Chris wanted to let go of the position, you know, because right. and <laughs> and you know he lo and Chris was great. I mean, Chris is a great hang. He's a cool guy. He's a great friend. We had a lot of fun together. It's fun being in a band with the guy. Um, but you know, there just comes this point where it's like. You know, um, you know, like you you have to at some point, you know, walk down to the altar with someone, you know what I mean? Kind of put a ring on it, if you will. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. who's, who's that going to be? And you kind of just have to, you have to, <clears throat> you have to make a commitment, especially something of that size. And again, we both had new records. We were both at the start of big cycles for our bands. And so it was, it was kind of inevitable, I think, <laughs> you know, but, uh, exactly. but it was fun to, it was fun to, to do some shows with Chris and, um you know we got to have like I say we got to have some good times we took it around the world you know we went we it's funny we started uh in japan and then over to china um down to australia to uh india up to russia right. over to the uk and then back to america you know and then we did some dates in america all over the world right yeah we literally did a world tour uh it was you know it was dur during the you know and and so that was you know, it was it was fun. It was it was. I mean, let's say it this way: we went around the world as part of the world tour. Let's put it that way. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um. So, um, you have done a, a a few songs for a movie, such as um, like Ninety Nine Ways to Die for the Beavis and Butthead movie, uh, and my personal favorite song, Anger Again, from the Last Act Hero movie. Mm -hmm. Um, where where these songs already written for future albums, or were they written specifically for the movie? No. Literally written on the spot in the studio for those wow. songs. Yeah, you know, "Angry Again" we recorded here in Phoenix. Um, uh, we were on the countdown to extinction cycle, and uh, we recorded at a old, dilapidated studio, which I think we were the last session in, and then they tore the place down. Now, now it's a fire department. Oh. Uh, it's down in Paradise Valley, right? On uh, 
Lincoln and 64th Street in for Gordon is every time I drive by it, I go, yeah, it's where we cut anger again. And now there's fire trucks sitting in there, you know, um, it's like a very, you know, wealthy part of town. It's kind of like the Beverly Hills here. So it's kind of funny that we, uh, they had a studio there of all things, but yeah, I remember Max Norman, he was literally pounding on the console trying to get knobs to work, you know, cause, uh, we cut the drums, the bass and the rhythm guitar. I think we cut all the tracks there. And then um, went to LA to mix it. Um, but you're right. I, me too. That's that is one of my favorite Megadeth songs. Yeah. It. It. I love the bass tone. Um, the just the pocket is great. We Dave. We walked in and he literally he had the riffs, he had the lyric, and I mean we literally laid it down. Um, we were only in a couple of days and we and recorded it. Ninety nine ways to die. We. Um, it was a session we did at the Enterprise Studio in Burbank where we did uh, the Countdown record. And we also recorded Go to Hell there. Um, Go to Hell was specifically written for the Bill and movie, which was going to be titled Go to Hell. And um, our A&R guy from um, um, uh, Capitol Records, when we got signed there, he had gone off to uh, start with Jimmy I.D. and they started um, um, Interscope Records. So... Um, Tom loved Megadeth, and remember he came in, and we were sitting. Uh, he came in to hear the, the track that we wrote. We we wrote it, I guess, at rehearsal, and then we brought it into the studio. That that song that 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 took a couple weeks maybe to write that one, but um, we wrote it, brought it in, <coughs> and because um, I think we wrote it while we were on we were on the Rust and Peace tour actually, um, and then we we wrote it, and I remember Tom sat with Dave when he was writing the lyrics and he said, Oh man, like be super evil, like be really dark. You know what I mean? So, so he, he really pushed Dave. He said, just like, just go, go there. Yeah. And said it, which was pretty funny. So, um, um, but so that track, and of course, as we put it out, then they changed the name of the movie to Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Right, I, guess they, yeah. I guess they realized go to hell might be a little too harsh for the, yeah, that's that way too harsh for yeah, prime time. Right. But, yeah. So we um, we technically had the title track of, of that, but that's one. Um, and then uh, Nice to Die was um, that was in 1993. So that was a couple years later. We got um, uh, we had uh, gotten contacted to do the um, uh, Beavis and Butthead, you know, uh, soundtrack right. for that. And um and at the same time, we did it. We did uh, Paranoid uh, that we did for uh, the Nativity and Black album. Um, you know, Black Sabbath got extremely popular after that. They 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 were a little fragmented. I don't think Ozzy had come back to the band yet. And um, and so Sabbath, our friend Bob Chaparty, who uh, has uh, had a company, a marketing company called Concrete Marketing, who worked a lot of metal records. Um, and so he, he contacted us and said, Hey, I'd love for mega to, you know, I'm having like 10 bands, whatever record the Sabbath tune of their choice. So he wanted right. us to be on it. So while we were in the studio cutting 99 ways to die, uh, we cut paranoid and it was kind of a last minute, like, oh, all right, we got to do this song. All right. Which one are we going to do? And then we little, I suggested right away. I said, why don't we do paranoid? Cause I'd played it in bands growing up in in Minnesota as a teenager. And of course we tried every song except paranoid. And after like a couple hours of that, uh, Dave finally plays the riff to paranoid. And it was like, there it was right there, you know? And so we went for it and, um, you know, there's a lot of great Sabbath songs, you know? So we, and Marty was a huge Sabbath fan. So 
We right. tried, you know, yeah, you know it's, a, it's a big thing, obviously. It's Sabbath, you got to find the cover that works for us, you know. And, and so it, I'm glad it was paranoid because it's uh, got good energy and it's simple. And, it's and really did fuck the ending up. Nick fucked the ending up. He played through it and it's, uh, we kept, right. <laughs> it was a mistake. He played through it and we just went, that's it. We're done. Session's over. We're keeping it. Mistakes at all, you know, so it was kind of a fun moment. Yeah. Uh, we do have two more questions before we let you go. Yeah. Um, what was your previous tour that you've been on, whether it be with Megadeth or a side project? Um, well, look, um, you know, sometimes I go out and I do, like I just did a, a tour of South America on 2019 in December. We called it Base Story. And it was just me solo. Every day I had a new band. I come into a town. It's very Chuck Berry, right? I'd come in. Uh, the promoter had a band already ready for me and they knew the songs. And, uh, and I'd show up and we'd rehearse at Soundcheck. And, and then we'd do the meet and greet and then we'd do the show that night. And it was fun to do that. I'd never done a whole tour like that. I, I had done that before. I actually did, went to Australia and did a similar thing back in 2000. Uh, 2014 for my book, uh, My Life with Death. Um, so I, I had some experience doing it. So, but I, I this is the only time I, I intentionally set out to do it. And I sang some of the songs and I had a singer there as well. And it, <laughs> excuse me, and it was a lot of fun because what was cool about it was that, you know, how everybody now knows Megadeth songs um, in the same way my uh, friends grow we all know Judas Priest and Kiss and Sabbath and, you know, all, all of our heroes, you know. So they all know my stuff, which made it real easy. And, of course, they knew I had them learn some of my other solo songs and stuff. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, it, it, was, it was meant to be just a fun night out um, of storytelling and, and music and stuff. And um, I'm actually doing another one this fall. It'll be different, a little different format than that, but called The Bass Chronicles. But it's kind of the same thing, do sort of a chron. This one will be a bit more chronological through my career. Um, and since I've got, you know, no cover, I've got some of the cover songs that were part of my earlier days and stuff. So um, I'm going to bring that into the Bass Chronicles. But so so that that Bass Story Tour of South America was a lot of fun. It was very cool. Um, you know, Megadeth, uh, they're, you know, they're all fun. They're all cool because they're they're big and certainly when we did the big four shows with Metallica and Slayer and Anthrax, those were great. Um, right. those were so big, uh, and big, not just for the bands, but for the audience, you know, for our fans, yeah. it was, a, it was like right. a big family reunion for us and the fans and everybody coming together and everybody smiling and thrashing and having a great time. I mean, that was truly our crowd, you know, that was, that's us. And, you know, we've done shows with Iron Maiden. We've done, you know, shows with Iron Maiden are great. There's one tour we did in 2013, I think, um, it was Maiden did seven shows for their American North American tour. So we did all of them starting on the East and we worked our way across the country and landed up in San Bernardino. Um, it was super great. The, the Maiden Megadeth audience is they're kind of one, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's a full night out of fucking great metal. And, you know, the Maiden guys are great. And, you know, I'm a fan. So I go out and watch, you know, watch them in the Maiden show. And so those, those, you know, those are a couple that just come to mind that are super fun. Nice. Our last question for you today is, um, uh, our podcast was called When Words Spill All Music Speaks. Um, and I think that's not further from the truth, right? So is there a song that for you that you can listen to, but you can't tell us how you feel about it? 
I can't, the one that I can't tell you how I feel about it. Yeah. Well, like it's so personal to you. You just, yeah. You know, it's funny. I have a couple that I just wrote for the Ellison Soto record, uh, that are like that. Um, and so I can't tell you about those because they're not out yet. But it's funny you mentioned that as an idea because it's I literally just went through that process. Funny, there's one, I don't know where it's going to land. I wrote it on piano. I kind of wrote it about my family growing up. My kids are older now. And, and I wrote it literally in the next room over. And I, was, and I literally, I can, I can sing it once in the day. And it just, it, it drains me emotionally so bad. I literally lay down and like take a nap. It like wipes me out. Um, which to me is, I mean, I really hit the vein, you know what I mean? I hit the heart center of, of, of the emotion of it. Now, I don't know if anybody else would feel that way when they hear it and I got to, I got to record it yet. I've I've got it. I've got to record it. I just need to finish it. I I don't even know where I'm going to put it out. I mean, sometimes I have songs like this where, you know, I'm not going to put that kind of a song in a Megadeth record. And, you know, I, 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 I write all the time, you know, and sometimes you, you come up with something, you're like, well, I have no idea where I'm going to put this song, but it is a good song and I'll save it for something. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, there's other songs that I, as a fan that I think that I could listen to, um, you know, there's one song is funny on uh, this no cover record that we did by sweet and Todd Kearns from Slash's band sang it called sweet F.A. And it is such a, it, it's such a just musically <clears throat> and of course he does such a great job on the on the vocal um that it's it's really incredible i mean i get chills when i hear it you know that i it's i'm so proud that it's my band doing it because it's everybody's so good on it at the same time i listen to um kiss destroyer is just always a number one in my book of all records favorite all-time records and I think sometimes when I hear um, Detroit Rock City, <laughs> you know, the opening of it, there's yeah. several songs on that record. That, Flaming Youth, um, Do You Love Me, uh, probably even Beth. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's like four or five songs on that record that I just, I mean, they just take me away to a whole other place. And part of it is because it was a record I became such a fan of when I was like 11 years old. So part of it takes me back to being a kid. Um, I had a great childhood growing up, fond memories of my family and growing up on the farm in Minnesota. So to me, it's just always a feel-good album to me. Um, And, you know, Kiss presented to us of guys, girls of my age group, a fantasy, you know, of characters and, you know, rock stardom and the, you know, just something so much bigger than real life. You know what I mean? So when I listen to that album, it, 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 it takes me there, you know? So that's probably one that I can't even describe in words, the goosebumps that I get when I listen to it, you know? Right. Yes, sir. Uh, So for our listeners, you can find uh, David Ellison on his own website, davidellison.com. Yep. Exactly. YouTube, Twitter, or And you can rebook them on Cameo now. Cameo, yep. Great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. just Google me. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. He's everywhere. So, uh, yeah. yeah yep. So we yep. thank you so much for David for coming yep. on our show, and we hope to have you back sometime soon. You know, maybe You're welcome, we'll James. Have a little bit longer. So thank cool. you so much. Jim. Thank you, my friend. Bye.